0: Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. God is indeed with us, as we just sang,
1: and knowing that that brings before us a sense of our Impurity, as he is pure. Acts 2.36 is our call to worship this morning. Hear God's word. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. The revival at Asbury College has been in the news recently. It was marked by college students wanting to stay in God's presence in worship by their confession of sin. Many have rendered opinions on how genuine this was or how much it was just chasing emotions. I haven't found it very helpful to do that. Rather, I'd like to compare it to the gold standard of Acts chapter 2 here where we see Jesus is clearly preached as obedient, crucified, risen, and reigning as Lord. And then the hearers are convicted of their sins. Their response is to be cut to the heart and to ask what they should do. And the answer that Peter gives is to repent of your sins, to be baptized, to receive forgiveness, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to look to the promises of God. This is foundational, evangelical truth for us as Christians. We should be practicing confessing our sins daily. And weekly, receiving God's forgiveness, looking to his promises to save us and our children. This is a renewal of our one-time baptism that we do each day. Uh, We do this formally and deliberately here, scheduled and printed right in the bulletin. Uh, But if you aren't spontaneously cut to the heart by the word of God for your sin at other times ever, it may be time to ask if your heart has become hardened to the word instead of tender all relationships call for responsiveness, we need to respond to the other person, and most of all, in our relationship to God. So let us respond faithfully to him as he speaks. This reminds us of our need to confess our in here to chapter 8 and I'm going to jump right in uh, only to say uh, notice the theme uh, uh, every now and then I come up with some good alliteration this might be one of the better ones in a while God's people reverence and receive his word right? there's the first two R's uh, that's what we need to do with the word and God's word does something to us too two other R's it revives us it reforms us so we see that here in Ezra 8 8 uh, excuse me, Nehemiah 8. And let's go verse by verse. You see the outline. We have the reading of the law first, the first eight verses. And then we have verses 9 through 12, which is interesting. A, a proper response to the, the word uh, it, it, among God's people is given, is shaped. And then the feast captain, in the last uh, section. So let's consider this verse by verse. Uh, we have the water gate first. The people gather together as one man in front of the water gate. I uh, have no idea why. My best guess is that there's the most space for people to gather there. Uh, but that's just a guess. And it, interesting, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. We also don't know who they are, which is interesting Uh, This is why we read from Hezekiah already, because very often in the history of God's people, it's the, the civic leader who does that. Joshua does that. Hezekiah, the king, does that. He even calls the Levites his sons and says, go do your job, my sons right? And, and there's revival as a result of that. We aren't sure. This seems to be something fairly official. It's not just an informal gathering. It's like all the people were called out, it seems. So it's very possible that it's Nehemiah who does this, and he's just being modest by not mentioning himself. That's another possibility. We have verse 2. Uh, all the people gather, the men and the women and all who can hear with understanding. That's interesting. Right? That's, that, that's leaving out the one-year-old, the two-year-old. right? And that's something that we see that's realistic among God's people. There are times for the church to have special events, conferences, that aren't for the youngest. They, they couldn't sit there and listen to three, three-hour, one-hour talks, for example. So uh, that's what's going on there. This isn't a, a church service where we would want all ages welcome. This is something special, uh, something unique that's going on. Nehemiah reads from morning until midday, and the word morning there is literally first light. So it's not like 9 a.m., it's like 6 a.m. So this is around six hours of straight reading of the book of the law of Moses. I didn't check, but I think you can get through almost the whole thing reading out loud in about six hours. So they simply read all of the Torah. That's what Ezra is doing here. Their ears were attentive to the book of the law. And this is part of the emphasis of the chapter. The people were really listening hard. That's repeated over and over. And it's also repeated that the Levites, they're giving the sense. They're explaining it. And the people are standing in their place, listening. There's a, there's a powerful engagement with the word here. I like the, the New King James for one, one reason. is They put in italics words that aren't in the Hebrew. And I don't talk much about the Hebrew and Greek language, but something that I really love about the Hebrew is how concrete it is. And if you see at the end of verse 3, the the New King James puts in italics, "were attentive, right? So you get the sense that in in the Hebrew, what it says is literally, the ears of all the people were to the book, right? So that gives you more of a poetic sense. It's like, it's, it's, it's a picture it gives you, right? It's like their ear is right there. Right? They're listening really hard. They're, the ear is to the book. That's what's going on. Verse 4, uh, Ezra is standing on a platform of wood made for the purpose. Almost every preacher who preaches on this makes, points out that he's also standing on a platform of wood, which I'm doing right now, and, and that's often what happens. There's a platform that was built for this occasion uh, because pr- the preaching of the word is to be elevated for theological and practical reasons, both, right? This isn't elevating Ezra the man, uh, as a man, but the word needs to be heard, right? Uh, This is why the deacons are often um, seeking your input about the sound system, by the way. Can you hear the word? It's not only the raised platform, it's can you hear? That's very important, very important. Uh, parents of little ones, that's something for you to keep in mind. You need to be sensitive if the noise of your little ones is keeping others from hearing the word. That's important. We welcome them. We want them part of the service. But if it's hard to hear over their noise, then sometimes it's loving your neighbor to take them out and then back in and then out and then back in and out and in. That's that's better, going out and in a lot, than, than just... Uh, than disrupting or keeping them away too much. So uh, be be paying attention to that. We, We raise the place of the word physically because it's above us. God's word is above us. And because it's easier to see and to hear it then. That's what they're doing here with this platform. Verse five, next, Ezra opens the book in the sight of all the people. I love this verse. He's standing above all the people and when he opened it, all the people stood up and Ezra blesses the Lord. The people stand when the book is opened. That that I, I t- it doesn't really say. I tend to think that was kind of a spontaneous thing, kind of like when King George stood when the Hallelujah chorus was being performed, right? You stand when you meet someone for the first time. Basic courtesy, right? You stand when a lady enters the room, perhaps. You stand when the president enters the room. Everybody does. You stand when the hallelujah chorus is sung. You stand out of respect that something significant is happening. And all of those examples are significant, but all of them combined are a drop in the bucket compared to hearing the revealed word of God read. Nothing is more important. Nothing. In the ancient church, you would never read the Bible sitting down. Even in your own house with your own copy. You stand. You probably read it out loud. It's critical. Now I'm going to start meddling here a little bit. Don't get too offended. I'll, I'll walk it back in a second. But these days we read books by audio an awful lot while we're doing other things. Doing that with the Bible... Most of the church of the past would consider near blasphemy. You don't try to hear God speak to you while you're driving or cleaning or whatever. You give your full attention to it. Right? That would be like going into the Oval Office and the president is talking to you and you decide to take out your phone and scroll Facebook while he's talking. What are you doing? You don't even do that to your family at the dinner table. Much less divide your attention between God and other things. Something to think about. I'll walk that back a little bit. I know there's a way to read the Bible for more intense study and then more for just reading it and being immersed in it, being in it and reading it over and over. The monks in the medieval monasteries, they would have scripture read to them as they ate meals, for example. So, I'm not saying that's an awful thing to, uh, to um, read the, or listen to the Bible while doing other things. Just be careful in all of your audiobook listening. I've noticed that when I try it, my mind is always, not always, it's, it's on something else for a few minutes at a time. And then I, I haven't really had my ear to the book. I, I, I had this gap where I didn't hear what was said for the last four minutes. It's not a good thing to do with the Bible. So be careful uh, how you read. If that's the only way you ever read the Bible, that's a problem. If you're reading the Bible that way sometimes and reading more uh, with full attention other times, perfectly fine. But here in Nehemiah 8, they're standing, they're listening, they're doing nothing else for a whole morning just to hear God's word. Wow. Verse 6, also significant. Ezra blesses the Lord, the people answer, Amen and Amen. They lift up their hands, they bow their heads, they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. A lot of physical response here to hearing the word of God. Lifting hands, which we do in worship. Bowing heads, we kneel in worship as well. Saying amen, which we also do in worship. I am going to focus on the amen part of that for a bit here. Uh, It's a Hebrew word, amen, and it simply means true or sure. Or maybe strong. That's what amen means. The Psalms are arranged into five books. And at the end of the first four books, the psalmist says each time, amen and amen. Double thing. Jesus used amen a lot. Uh, In the old King James, it's verily, verily, I say to you. Right? We, We know it more probably as truly, truly, I say to you. Right? Literally, what it says in the Greek is amen, amen. I say to you. He started sentences with amen. He didn't end them with amen. Because what he was going to say next was true words of God. So amen is an important word. And amen is something of an oath. It has a quality of an oath. It's not just, hey, I agree with that. Hey, I like what you just said. There's an oath quality. You're binding yourself to what you just heard or what you just said yourself. So think of that when you say, shout amen at the end of a hymn or a psalm, that you're not just saying, hey, I like singing that, hey, that was nice, that really blessed me. What you're doing is saying, those words are true and they're for me, and and I'm bound to those words. That that truth holds me as God holds me in covenant. It's critical. quote I came across this week says this, believers cannot listen to praise being offered to God and remain silent. We cannot remain silent. Just as the people here in verse 6, the book is opened, they hear it read, they've got to do something. So they lift hands, they bow their heads, they say amen. Critical. I grew up singing amens at the end of hymns. Um, that was a common custom for me. Other uh, church traditions that you grow up with individuals in the pew shouting an amen when the preacher says something they really like, right? Now here in our church, we, we shout amen at the end of hymns. And I thought, until about five days ago, I thought this. I, I, I've changed my understanding on this. Let me tell you about this enlightenment I had. I thought that the loud amen that we shout at the end of hymns was an invention of the CREC about 25 years ago. But it's not. And I've verified this with several historical sources now. Jerome, in the 4th century, described in a letter the worship of the church of his day. And he said, The amen of the congregation sounds like thunder. to Rome in the 4th century. The 4th century church shouting out an amen like thunder. That totally changed my mind about what we're doing with that. I, I thought it was this novel invention of the CREC. No. Like the reformers in the 1500s often said, we are reviving ancient truth and practices. We are not inventing new ones. That's important. But one of the ancient practices was to shout amen at the end of the song, or when the word is read. So we're going to practice a minute, all right? We're going to practice. We, pra- we sing amen, say amen a lot, right? At the end of every song, uh, I say the grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of God stands forever. And all God's people said, amen. That's pretty good. And all God's people said, I do it after the benediction, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. 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 That one we don't do so much, but I'd encourage you to do that. There it's not with my amen, it's one after my amen, right? And give you peace. Amen. 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 We do it with the songs as well, right? Uh, Many, many times. And now, when we do this kind of thing, we're Presbyterians, so after we do this a few times, you start getting a little suspicious, right? This is not some rhetorical trick that I'm doing to work you up emotionally. That's not what I'm doing, right? The point is, we need to respond vigorously, eagerly, with all of our heart and strength to the Word of God. We need to be ready, willing, chomping at the bit, To do what it says. We're expressing that when we shout amen together. It's a real blessing to all of God's people to hear us all say that. To hear us committed to that. That's about what this amen is about. I'll move on. There's plenty more to talk about here. Verses 4 and 7, you notice the helpers. right? These long lists of names that we see in Nehemiah all the time. Verse 4, uh, it's two different lists, two different sets of people. In verse 4, it's people standing with uh, Ezra on the platform as he reads. I think these are probably other priests ruling the temple with Ezra. Uh, this tells us a couple of things. One is that Ezra is not a one-man show. Uh, there's oversight here. Uh, in, the, in the old Dutch Reformed church that I come from, uh, when the pastor would preach, as I'm doing now, I think I've told you this before probably, Uh, The elders of that congregation, the consistory, would sit on the stage. There'd be benches here and here. And the elders would sit up here on the platform as the pastor preached. Feels a little awkward, right? That's how they used to do that, and there's a reason for that. You need elders who are going to notice if the preacher starts to go off the rails. The elders are overseeing the teaching of the church. That's what's going on here in part as well. We don't do that today, but notice as we are talking about officer candidates a lot in church today, that's part of what's going on. There's, there's a feeding that's going on, feeding of God's people as I preach. There's also an evaluation that's going on. Every one of you individually is assessing and evaluating what I'm saying. That's appropriate, you know, like the Bereans did in Acts 17. But there's also another level, which is the officer's oversight. There's certain people in the congregation who have specific responsibility to make sure that, that things are being said correctly, that no error is being said, and I'm going to get called on it if anything seems amiss. So there's several levels like that there. That's something just to point out there in passing in verse 4. Those lists uh, often seem like not much is there, but there's a lot in these lists. The second one in verse 7 is all these uh, other people, mostly Levites it seems who are helping the people to understand the law. So these are the ones who are actually teaching. They're giving the sense, it says later. Helping them to understand. This is essentially expository preaching. As the word is read, then it's also explained. You give the sense. I like that phrase. That's what expository preaching is doing. It's exposing the text, giving it to you, letting you see it, see what's in it, and and what it means for you. That's what's going on. So, uh, a long time there in the first section, the first eight verses. Uh, Then we have the proper response. In verse 9 through 12, uh, Nehemiah and all the Levites, they they, uh, say to the people, this is after the reading is done, verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept. Now this is important to think about. Uh, when they read the book of the law of Moses, the people are weeping spontaneously. Weeping. I, I could turn just at random right now to any uh, of the first five books of, of the law and read a few verses. And are those the kind of verses that would make us weep? But more often, we... Um, I don't know if it's a joke or if it's based in reality, but our Bible reading plans often run astray in those second, third, and fourth books of the Bible. We we can't even get through it. But they're reading that same thing, and they're weeping. Part of it is because they haven't had it for so long. They haven't been back in Jerusalem, reformed and rebuilt, and now able to sacrifice and, and celebrate these feasts as God's people for so long and they're weeping but, the, but Ezra and the priests they, they shape the response of the people differently part of the reason is because this is a feast day it's not actually said but it's the seventh month the first day of the month that's the feast of trumpets it's not mentioned in this text but this is a feast day it's a day to rejoice. It's a day to realize, I have the word of God again. And God has given me another chance to do his word. That's a cause for rejoicing. You may weep for a moment too. It's like Christmas, I think, when we all want to be happy and rejoice together. Right? That's our high feast day is Christmas. Just think of it like that. But many people on Christmas day are sad and have a good reason to be sad. A loved one recently lost, whatever it may be. Feast days are times to all together express the joy that we have in Christ, a joy that's deeper than any human trial or sadness that we face. And so it's a day to rejoice together deliberately. You also need to send portions to those who don't have anything, he says. So there's also a time when you're, when you're weeping at the word of God uh, to, to have that move you to do something for someone else. Go and serve others. So you, you have here uh, an event, a, a revival, a reformation going on. And godly sorrow and repentance is a mark of true revival. It ought to be. I thought of Jonathan Edwards this past week. Uh, He describes the awakenings of his day and how people are just weeping loudly, sobbing in the pews as he's reading his sermon, Uh, not in a very charismatic way. He would just read, kind of monotone his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, for example. And people are just falling over, weeping in the pews because the Spirit of God is active. So that's a true mark of, of true revival. But as, as it says in that um, commission I've been reading every week for the last month or two, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow. Right? Spiritual strength comes from our joy in the Lord. Pietists, pietism, tends to think that our strength comes from feeling guilty. And there are times to feel guilty. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't ever feel guilty. But there's a kind of person who goes to church to get clobbered over the head and to made to feel guilty, and that's real worship. Well, it, it may be part of it, but as the priests say here, don't sorrow. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It, I think it's kind of like cooking and eating. You need, you need to cook in order to eat, and you're not going to eat if you don't cook. You, you need them both. But we need both repentance and we need to receive forgiveness. We need to realize what, what God's people were realizing here is God has given us another chance. We're back from exile. He's given us an opportunity to rebuild. We've been able to defend ourselves from our enemies, from His. We've got a fighting chance here. So bring out the book. This is where the real reformation and rebuilding is. The wall was just preliminary. All the defense, all the people. All the pieces are now put together. Now it's time for the book. Notice the people need direction in how to receive the word of God. Every one of us needs that. It's something that is, is um, a part, a half-truth in what Rome was afraid of in the Reformation. Rome said, you give everybody a copy of the Bible, they're just going to read it for themselves and conclude and infer all kinds of crazy stuff. It's partly true. We need one another. We need help interpreting this word and applying it to ourselves wisely. No man can do that on his own perfectly and well. We need help in that. That is true. And that's what happens here. We'll often go astray without help in reading the Bible. That made me think of, I forget the name of the book, I didn't look it up. There was this guy who decided to literally do everything the Bible said and like started with the ritual law in Exodus and took every little bit of it literally, offered the sacrifices, ate the kosher, wore clothes of only one fabric, and so on. Weird kind of stuff. He was not responding to the word properly. There was some zeal there. But zeal without knowledge is a dangerous thing. So that takes us back to Acts 2, verse 37. Peter's sermon, the Pentecost sermon, where he preaches Christ to the Pentecost crowd. And what do they say? What shall we do? Sometimes we don't know what to do when we read the word. And, And we need help learning that. Applying the text is critical. Well, what we see as an example here is in verse 13 to 17, the rest of this, uh, there's a smaller gathering on the next day, and they find out about the Feast of Booths, which is coming up in about 15 days, it turns out. So that's the 15th day of the seventh month. Now it's the second day of that same month, right? Notice how relevant the word becomes. Oh, it's March 5, and the Bible says on March 15, we need to hold this festival. Well, I guess we better get ready. That, that's the basic situation that's happening here. Translate that to today. It's not so much a feast we need to keep, but the Bible says to be kind to one another, kids, and tender hearted, and forgiving each other. Right? Just as God in Christ forgave you. Some of you are mouthing it along with me. That's great. Well, your brother just slugged you in anger and ran out of the room. How can you be kind and forgiving to him? Right? The, the word of God is relevant. You're going to read it and then all of a sudden something's going to happen and you're like, you need to connect those two. That's what they're doing here. So that's a quick walk through the text. Just a couple of uh, points in closing. On the importance of reading the text, on the authority of the word, on the power of the word. Uh, we read in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, I believe it is. And I read it in the New King James, and I, as I was reading it, I realized, oh, this is not my favorite version of this. It simply says, give attention to the reading, right? Uh, I think it's the ESV that says, to the public reading. Uh, the idea here isn't just make sure you read your Bible every day. But Paul's writing to Timothy as a leader of the church. What he's saying is, make sure you're reading the Bible in church to the people who come to church. That's what he has to give his attention to. You know, when the early church received a letter from Paul, you know, you're in Colossa, and you're one of the Colossian Christians, and all of a sudden, here comes this letter from Paul, and you show up on the next Sunday morning. I doubt that they took it into worship the next Lord's Day and read the first three sentences and then said, okay, come back next week for two more sentences from Paul. That's not how it went. They read the whole letter. The whole thing. It's important to give attention to the reading of the text. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'll say it. Maybe this is, I don't know. It's always dangerous to say this is the most important part of the worship service about anything. But I think the two most important parts of the worship service are things you wouldn't expect. Number one is the reading of the word. And number two is the communion at the table. In our tradition, we give far more time to the preaching of the word. And I think that's appropriate. But as far as what's most important, what's most what's really going on, God is speaking when I'm reading this word. God is communing with you at that table. It's true, the preached word is important too. They say in the confession that the the faithfully preached word of God is the word of God. That's a phrase to consider for a while. But when God speaks in his word, when his word is read, oh, that's so important. I was in um, Israel and Turkey maybe 20 years ago. And one of our stops, we stopped at a Greek temple to Diana. Just ruins but the pillars, I mean, you could only get your arms halfway around the pillar. You know, it's huge, and a forest of them, all over. And, and the, the guide made the point that this temple was made because the Greeks believed that Zeus, a head of Zeus had fallen from the sky, from heaven, and had landed, and there it was. They found it. And they're like, Zeus has spoken to us. And, and the guide's whole point was, Look what they did in response to thinking that Zeus spoke to them. They built these huge temples, huge civic engineering projects that took, you know, billion dollar budgets kind of stuff. All because God spoke to us. What do we do because God spoke to us? They had revelation from God, so they believed. And so they went to great expense, lots of effort to honor that. Today, the Orthodox Jews, uh, when they gather at synagogue on a Sabbath, they'll take the Torah out of the Torah closet, and before they read it, they'll dance it around the room. And everybody will dance before they take it up to read. You've got to do something to show that you appreciate what it is. So we stand. That's good. It's important to read the text. It's important to remember what the text is. That this is the authoritative word of God. I heard a a speech by Al Mohler recently. Uh, He put it this way. People used to object uh, to Christianity by saying, you have no right to tell me what to do. And he said, now people say, you have no right to tell me who I am. It's a bit of a different objection. And Moeller made the point, the Word of God does both. The Word of God tells us who we are. And the Word of God tells us what we are to do. Because it's our Creator's Word to His creatures. We must believe Him and do what He says. This is an authoritative Word. It's also a powerful Word. There is power in the Word. Spoken. The word of God. And one thing I wanted to convey to you at this point before I close is that the power is in the reading of the word. It's in the moving of the spirit. The power is not in the sentiment. Right? Every now and then, maybe two out of three Sundays, I'll get kind of choked up about something. You you notice when that happens. You're even looking up now just because I'm talking about it. You really notice that, right? And that, we live in a sentimental age where, where if I get choked up, then you think, wow, now he really means it. That's, that's not quite right, you see. I meant it all along. Just because I got a little emotional for a second, that doesn't mean it's more real. Doesn't mean it's more powerful, Right? Pay attention all the time, but we're, we're not here to pay attention and see somebody get choked up and emotional. The power is in the word. The preacher is also about the power, the, the, and this is from Al Moler as well the preacher is limited in that power. I can get the word from my lips to your ears. That's about as much as I can do. The power of God is needed to get it from your ears. Into your hearts. But that's what God does. Maybe me think of Psalm 29. I'm just gonna read a bit of Psalm 29. It's a wonderful Psalm about the power of God. The voice of the Lord. The voice of verse 4. The, verse, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. That's a poetic picture to show you that even with the hardest hearts that you might see in the evening news or wherever of people who are rebelling against God, the voice of God, the power of his word and his spirit can break cedars into splinters. It can break hard hearts and make them soft again. The voice of the Lord, the power of his word. That's what it does here in Nehemiah. So close with the big picture. God put Adam and Eve in the garden at the beginning, right? And that garden was set apart from the rest of the earth. It was a protected space for humanity to thrive. And Adam and Eve's job was to expand that garden to fill the earth. Now notice that Nehemiah is doing the same thing. Jerusalem is the garden. He rebuilt the wall. And that was only the first step. Now we need a garden within the wall. Now we need houses. Families, productive economy and trade. But central to it all, we need people faithful to the word of God. Adam stood before God and heard him speak in the garden. Don't eat of the tree. Just like Nehemiah's people hear him speak the word in this chapter. But Adam let Satan question if it was really God's word. He went against God's spoken command. And here with Nehemiah, we see a promising revival of adherence to God's word. But you know what? That didn't go very well either. After this, there's some promising bits of reform in the rest of the book that we'll look at. But Ezra is basically the father of a movement that we know as Phariseeism. This was the belief that if we just obey God's word faithfully enough, society will be set right and God will bless us. And they took that core principle, which is, again, a half truth. There's a lot of truth in that. But they applied that so rigidly. If any one of us breaks the Sabbath, the Messiah will not come and society will fall apart. Don't pick up that mat and walk on the Sabbath. It wound up oppressing people with legalism that lost sight of God's grace. So it took Jesus to come. The word himself, fully obedient to the Father, to restore the garden. There is no Eden without Jesus. There is no tree of life without the tree of Calvary. So I'll close with a a note of grace. Every time God's word comes to you, as it does here to God's people, we have a chance to change our path. You may have been on a path of ignoring God for days, weeks, even years. But as the Word says, the Word is near you. It's not impossible to do with the Spirit's help. You can change course at any time. Back home to your Creator, to your Father, to your Savior. God's people reverence and receive His Word. God's Word revives us, it reforms us. And all God's people said, Amen! Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this precious word. Thank you for uh, reviving us from time to time, from day to day, with this word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have uh, revealed yourself to us, given us chance time and time again to come back to you. Help us, Lord, on this day of rest, this Sabbath, when we have uh, a bit of extra time, perhaps, to take up and read. Your word, to take time in fellowship with you, to uh, imitate what we do here, meet together with your people, read your word, take time in communion with you in prayer, be fed at your table. Lord, the hardest thing sometimes is simply for us to receive you, to let you speak, to let you forgive. Help us, Heavenly Father, uh, to lower our defenses before you and come to you in confession. Uh, seeking to be committed to you, seeking to commune with you. We thank you for reviving us when we need it. We thank you for continuing to come to us day by day through your Spirit's work, through our families, our parents, through your people. Help us to love you, to be grateful for all of this. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us faithful to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, for he
0: is the ever-living word. And we sing
1: as he taught us to pray.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.